0: Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room so that we can talk about the week's lessons from Come, Follow Me. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar, far from. I'm just your average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. I have found that one of the best ways to do that is by discussing Come, Follow Me with others. My hope is that you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing what you learn with others. Without further ado, let's start this Family Room Discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 24, following along with my heart rejoiceth in the Lord, the book of Ruth and 1 Samuel chapters 1 to 3. Today in church, uh, I had an interesting interaction that I wanted to share. And I don't really know where I'm going with this story, which is dangerous when you have ADD, but um, it's on my mind. And I want to to kind of just, I don't know, use this as the place to talk about my feelings about it. So the teacher uh, in in the discussion about the book of Judges, Uh, The teacher had brought up that, um, you know, typically in wards or communities, a lot of people think the exact same way and how living in Utah, there's not a lot of diversity of thought, which I actually disagree with. Um, And I I was going to raise my hand and talk about my disagreement, Um, except then others raised their hand and, and agreed and stuff, which is completely fine. It's definitely a perspective that I think has merit for sure. Um, but then, uh, some comments were made that I then, it, it shut me down wanting to raise my hand at all, but some comments were made about specifically socioeconomic status, um, almost comparing people who are of a higher socioeconomic status, that they are somehow not as righteous as those who are of a moderate income. And, uh, I thought that was an interesting comment to make, especially given the area where we live, um, We live in a, I just feel like the area we live in is pretty well off. I mean, it's certainly middle class area. And yet there are those that live close by who are of a higher economic status. But again, it's weird to me to compare when for the most part, everyone around you is actually doing financially well and then to judge others who are doing really well and then judging the way that they spend their wealth. Uh, so that was part of the discussion, and it, it kind of went on to this, um, I don't know, and it, it could have been my perception for sure, but it was funny because in this class, we were discussing, well, the, the the participants discussing were talking about how there's not a lot of diversity of thought in the area, specifically in Utah, which, again, I disagreed with and wanted to raise my hand to bring up a comment of my disagreement, but uh, the, the conversation kept moving in the agreement to that. And then the conversation also took a turn of like what I perceived again, I'm making sure that this is, this isn't what the reality was necessarily, but I certainly perceived the comments being made uh, by certain individuals, not everyone, by certain individuals as being um, judgmental to others for not doing, for not living the gospel the way that they see that the gospel should be lived. I thought it was funny because Um. We talked in the class, was, you know, civility was discussed, how there's a, a lack of civility, how there's a, a lack of being able to, to disagree. And I sat there, and maybe I'm part of the problem. I sat there because I kept thinking, well, I disagree. Well, I disagree, <laughs> but I wouldn't I wouldn't raise my hand to disagree because I've done that prior. Uh, I have disagreed in, in classes taught by the specific teacher, in fact. Um, and I always come away feeling like, Whenever I disagree, it's because I'm trying to be disagreeable and not make a disagreement. So I guess I bring it up because it's a little bit ironic, and I guess this is more of a check for everyone. Um, we all have our perceptions, we all have our beliefs. We ha- we have the way that we have been raised and that we see the world, and I don't think there's there's anything wrong with that. What I do think is wrong is when we start to um, cause our perceptions to be placed as reality on other people. The, the, the way we see the world is the correct one. Um, for instance, and I hear about this all the time, I, I think a lot of us probably hear about, oh, whatever happened to when, we, when people used to be able to disagree? Uh, a thought on that is that I don't think there's ever been a time in the history of the world where disagreement was just welcomed with open arms. I think it's the people involved. There are people who do well with disagreement, who are able to see someone else's perspective or who can be in a conversation where they I have many friends who I'm able to have very civil conversations where if it was with a different individual or different group of people, it would not be the same level of civility that the conversation takes on. So I don't believe that it has to do with, um, oh, this group of people or the people who believe this. It's, I think it's an individual matter or even a, a group setting matter. There are people who are better at disagreement and people who are not better disagreement. But I did, as I sat there today in Sunday school, two thoughts. One, it's ironic, I think, to sit in discussions, whether it's at church or at work or anywhere, in any scenario where someone is saying like, man, it's just too bad. And this is just an example. This is the, So the, don't take this as the specific. I'm just using the specific to cite this example. But where someone says, you know, oh, it's just too bad that we can't disagree more civilly anymore. Why have times changed? And yet, then if you were to go and disagree with that statement, um, and again, this is my perception because I did not raise my hand and I did not bring up the comment because of, uh, concerns that I've had where historically I have raised my hand to disagree with certain things in church and creates this awkward tension in the room for, for everyone involved. And I've, I've decided that well, I don't get, uh, I don't mind that, that awkward tension feeling. Others do, and so I don't want to make other people unnecessarily uncomfortable, even though some days I'm like, I, th- I guess that is kind of the point. Um, but one, just, I don't know, check yourself, I suppose. When you're making comments like that, really check yourself and say, is the comment I'm making hold true if someone were to disagree with me? For instance, that comment on civility. Uh, would you stay civil? someone disagrees with you just on even that that basic principle because if not that should be a gut check right and um two i think for me the takeaway i take i, I came home with and i talked to lex about and uh, my friends about is that there's nothing wrong with making i make plenty of statements i'm sure i've made plenty of statements over my podcast even that have been bold statements that are easily disagreeable with, or or things that people would not see eye to eye with me on. And I think that's completely fine. I, I think the, the purpose of our comments, the purpose of discussion, should never be to, um, to put other people down simply for the sake of making your argument. For instance, and this individual who made the comment, not the teacher, it was a different individual. I'm sure his intentions were not to put anyone down but I do think it opened a window into his soul, the fact that he was talking about the way people spend their money. Uh, I don't give two rips about how other people spend their money. I am too busy trying to focus on taking care of my family and and taking care of our needs. And uh, for full disclosure, I guess, yes, I do have... Um, I am going to be protective over people who, who make good money in their life uh, due to family and friends that I have. But... Uh, but it's also because I know how much that they give of their, their time, talents, and money to good causes. And so who am I to judge what they're spending their money on in their own personal life or how big their homes are or what cars they drive? Uh, who am I to judge when they're also able to donate financially significantly more than I can? It would be too tough for me to sit there and judge everyone for how they live their life. And it is significantly easier for me to be more concerned about how I live my own life. Uh, Which is what I strive to do. So, like I said, I don't really know if I had a purpose in sharing that other than it's been on my mind all day. I can't stop thinking about it. And I figured, what better place than a podcast dedicated to having discussions in this type of uh, religious environment? So hopefully, I don't know. It was a a gut check for me and maybe maybe I shared something that makes you think. I don't know. With that, let's get into this actual lesson, though. What we really want to talk about, which is uh, Ruth and 1 Samuel. In the introduction, sometimes we imagine that our lives should follow a clear path from beginning to end. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, after all. And yet life is often full of delays and detours that take us in unexpected directions. We may find that our lives are quite different from what we thought they should be. Ruth and Hannah surely understood this. Ruth was not an Israelite, but she married one. And when her husband died, she had a choice to make Would she return to her family and her old familiar life, or would she embrace the Israelite faith and a new home with her mother-in-law? Hannah's plan for her life was to bear children, and her inability to do so left her in bitterness of soul. As you read about Ruth and Hannah, consider the faith they must have had to put their lives in the Lord's hands and travel their unexpected paths. Then you might think about your own journey. It will look different from Ruth's and Hannah's and anyone else's, But throughout the trials and surprises between here and your eternal destination, you can learn to say with Hannah, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. I'm reading a book right now called uh, The Alchemist. It's uh, apparently this famous book. I hadn't heard about it before a couple months ago. Um, Anyway, I'm reading it. I, I cannot remember the name of the author right now. He is a Brazilian author. It's a really interesting book. Um, I'll let you know if I recommend it. It's not, not a church book or anything like that. Just a, a good read. Um, but in this book, the, there's a concept about, uh, personal, personal legends. Uh, it's, you know, this fictional story about this boy who, who starts out as a shepherd and goes on this journey and is trying to find his personal legend. And I believe the book is symbolic about our own personal legends and how we find them. And in the same way, I like this comment. It will look different from Rose and Hannah's and anyone else's. I believe that we do truly all have a individual story. Sometimes we have similarities and sometimes we have differences. M- majority of times we'll have differences, I think, but ultimately we're all doing the same thing, which is we are fighting our own personal legend. The, our story that we will tell. Uh, we will tell to our family, friends, children, Uh, on the other side of the veil just throughout eternity it's it's our own journeys that we each take and I think that concept is really important it was it was something that I struggled with um when I was dating actually before I was married and when I was dating I remember every dating experience I'd be like oh but if it doesn't fit into this box of something that I've heard before then it won't work out and Elder Holland had given this talk and I don't remember I, I genuinely cannot remember what the talk was. I believe it was a BYU devotional. So while I don't remember any of the details, I do remember one thing that I got from this talk. And again, it's not helpful to not have a source or anything, but he just said, and this brought such peace to my soul, which was, if you're living, a st- if you're living your story and you're worried because no one else has done it, then be the pioneer and be the first. And thinking about that, I think we can all be that. We can all be pioneers in our own lives, and our families. And that brings me a tremendous amount of hope, especially when I'm looking to pattern my life. If I can't find someone who has done something before, I get to be the pioneer of that journey. I think that's really cool that all of us can do that. You think about how many people there are, and all of us get to live our own personal legends and our personal journeys. That's really cool. So uh, the one section I really want to focus on is section four. I can hear and obey the voice of the Lord. But before we get there, here's a couple of random thoughts I wanted to share. First was in uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if aught but death part thee and me. Beautiful language, I really love that, but I also wanted to point out that this is an example of how flirt to convert actually worked. Her husband is gone, he's passed away, so there's no reason for her to stay uh, or to adopt this new religion, and yet she does stay and stays with her mother-in-law, and not only that, she covenants to to stay. So yes, flirt to convert can work. I don't know if I recommend it necessarily. I wouldn't go planning on your life being that way, but there's certainly precedence for it. And then in chapter one of, uh, in First Samuel chapter one, it said, in, in verse eight, um, it says, then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, this is, so now we're talking about Hannah. Uh, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? Hannah's story is, uh, starts out as, as a tragic one. She really wants children, is unable to bear children, and is this, extreme grief to her soul. I think I I know several people who, in their own mortal journeys here on this life right now, could relate to Hannah's story. And, um, but she has this amazing husband who's incredibly sensitive and tender to her and does not treat her differently at all, even though he has another wife who does bear children to him. And, uh, man, this line, as a husband, this hits for me. Um, You know, am not I better to thee than ten sons? right? The lesson for me here is is do not forget the blessings that we do have. Yes, you may have a desire of your soul. I know I certainly have desires of my soul, um, things that I want deeply, and uh, hopes, dreams, all of that. But never let your heart be, be troubled or wary or grieved at the expense of remembering the blessings that you do have, because you truly have been blessed, and you have so much that the Lord has given you. And it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to still desire and want the things of your soul. Um, but just don't let it be at the expense of the blessings that you do have. I think you'll be a happier person. Um, I, I, not only do I believe that I know that because everyone I know who is a genuinely happy person who I've spent time around, around and been able to truly really interact with, the people I deem is truly happy in this life. Um, they are not happy because of the absence of trials. In fact, the happiest people I know have gone through some of the most horrendous things. Uh, so that can't be, it. it can't be the absence of trials. And it's not the absence of mental ailments because I know many of the happiest people and uh, some of the happiest people I know have things such as depression and anxiety or ADHD or um, any number, honestly, of, of mental uh, illnesses or disabilities Um, So it can't be that. That that can't be it. Uh, What I believe, the great principle is, is that they are always thankful. They're always grateful for what they do have. They strive to see things um, in the most positive light and not at the abandonment of reality, not at the uh, living in this fantasy world, but just I know things are rough, and yet I'm going to look on the bright side anyway. My grandma Anderson was, was definitely one of those people. Who uh, just was always positive and optimistic and was just one of the happiest people that I've known and And she had uh, plenty of reasons to to not be happy. And yet she was. And so that's just what I want to share uh, from from that is just it's it's okay to want things and to be upset when we don't get things. That's not the problem. but don't don't forget the blessings that you do have. Stay grateful. Um, stay optimistic and, uh, you don't have to live in a fantasy world to do that. Uh, you don't have to just believe that everything's happy and peachy all the time. It's not, but, but you can certainly still be optimistic, optimistic and positive about it regardless. So the meat of what I want to discuss is again, I can hear the voice of the Lord. Uh, so Samuel going to chapter three, Samuel, uh, here's, he's now been given. So Hannah does have a child. His name is Samuel. She does uh, keep her promise to the Lord and gives him to be a servant for for the Lord. Um, not only that, he ends up becoming the prophet, so that's pretty cool. And and then further cool is that uh, and again, not the the message the lesson makes this clear. Not everyone will receive the same miracles that Hannah did. She obviously prayed for children and was able to receive them. That won't necessarily be true uh, for for you if you're struggling with infertility, but what I do believe the true concept and principle here is that God will bless you with miracles as you are faithful. I, I genuinely believe that as deep as my soul goes, um, I know that to be true. So Samuel is now serving the Lord and he hears this voice. He believes that it's uh, Eli. And so he goes and he says, here am I. And he does this three times. And each time Eli wakes up and he's like, what are you talking about? I didn't call you. Like go back to bed. And this, again, happens three times. Now in verse 7, it says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Um, Samuel was the same as us. And the lesson says this too. But Samuel was the same, where he had to learn what the voice of the Lord sounded like. He had to learn how to interpret it and discern it. Um, So even though he was a future prophet and would become the prophet, uh, just the same as all of us, and and this includes all prophets who have ever lived, we all need to learn how to discern the voice of the Lord. So what can we learn from this? Because then uh, Eli actually then helps him after the third time and says, here's what you should do. It's the voice of the Lord talking to you, and here's what you need to do to be able to speak. And then Samuel has this amazing uh, interaction with God. And so what can we learn? One, I think what stands out to me is that the Lord is patient. I mean, he calls to Samuel not just three times, but four Calls four times and three times Samuel doesn't figure it out. So if you are concerned that you're not being, you're, you're not hearing the voice of the Lord, he may be trying to call to you right now. And you just need to learn how to discern that. But don't worry about, well, wow, ah, oh, I just, I messed up and I didn't hear. I didn't know that that was the voice of the Lord. The Lord's not like impatient in the sense that he's just giving up on you. He's not going to give up on you. He didn't give up on Samuel and he won't give up on us. But act on that. Act and learn and grow. And don't be afraid of failure as we learn revelation. Uh, The only thing I think we should ever fear is failure on our own integrity. If we know that we weren't supposed to be doing something, then don't do that thing. That's what we can fear. But other than that, as far as failure goes, even in life and at work and and everything, I have gotten further in life whenever I abandon my fear of failure. Um, I've seen that at work. I've seen that at church. I've seen that in sports. I've seen that in any like mental activities, anything, any activity, when I abandon my fear of failure, um, again, not fear of failure on my integrity, but just fear of failure in general, I have learned more, I've learned faster, and I have gone farther than I do when I am terrified to fail. And again, the most successful people I know have, have learned and mastered that concept. So with revelation, let us not be afraid of failing either and recognize that God is patient. He wants us to have this relationship with him. And he knows that it's, you know, he knows everything. So it's not like he is confused about why it's taking us so long to figure it out. He gets it and he's patient with us. And then two, Samuel needed a mentor. He needed someone to help guide him. And the same way we may need a mentor or a, you know, a parent, a church leader, um, someone that we can trust who can help guide us in our own revelation. So I always counsel uh, the very first person I always counsel with when I believe I'm receiving revelation is my wife. I trust Lex immensely and uh, trust her to be able to help me discern kind of my thoughts, feelings and what I'm hearing and and things like that. She's also a good check because sometimes I'm like, I think this is it. And she's like, I don't think that's it. So that helps check me and help me really evaluate things. Um, I always consult the scriptures and try to make sure that everything that I feel like I'm feeling or thinking or receiving is in line with what God would reveal through his text. And there's a lot of scripture scriptures to be able to check and reference on that. And then, then I just, you know, will consult with people I trust people who I see getting their own revelation in their life, because, uh, it's always suspect if you're counseling with someone who never speaks of their own revelation or ever receiving revelation, maybe not be counseling with those people. Um, because again, why would you uh, counsel with someone who isn't even engaging in the same type of process that you're trying to, but those who are certainly can be helpful at the end of the day, you are responsible for your own revelation. So even if you were counseling with someone and they're like, I'm pretty sure it's this just remember that you are responsible for that revelation and God will make sure that you understand it. he will never leave us confused if there's something that he needs us to hear or do or act upon. Um, but he does expect us to act. That's the thing; is he does not waste his his words on us. He always expects us to act on the things that he says. One final thought uh, that's that's ultimately what I want to talk about. One final thought here on chapter three of Sam for Samuel is uh, in verse thirteen. This is, this is just a thought on parenting. It says, "For I have told him." So this is God's revelation to Samuel, and this is talking about Eli. For I have told him that I will judge him, uh, judge his house forever. For the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. So Eli, who serves the Lord uh, in his house and everything, and is um, Samuel's mentor. Eli has these two sons that are not righteous, and they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And God reveals to Samuel that he's actually told Eli that Eli's going, and his household will be judged because of that. So Eli knew, knew about this, and... The lesson I take from this is that God, it's our duty as a parent. If you are a parent, it is your duty to discipline your children, to make sure that they understand the word of the Lord, to not hold back the word of the Lord or try and soften it. Um, Like you are duty bound to God as a steward of your children to make sure that they understand the word of the Lord, that they are learning how to seek it themselves, how to discern it. Um, Do not be a gatekeeper for your children and the Lord but instead be a guide. Guide them to the Lord. I see too many parents who gatekeep for their children, and it is the the great detriment of this generation and every generation. Any parent that gatekeeps the relationship between children and the Lord is one of the worst things. And look for opportunities. Uh, I was even thinking about this. Flynn lost his backpack probably over a year ago. Maybe it's two years ago. I, I shared the experience on my podcast at that time. Flynn lost his backpack, and we could not find it. We had Checked lost and found and everything of this. Uh, we lost it at a college campus, and we couldn't find it. It was very uh, stressful because it had all of Flynn's most sacred belongings: his blanket and his teddy bear and his uh, Spider-Man action figure. <laughs> I wish that <laughs> I wish that I was still four. Anyway, um, we had him pray, not not me or Lex. We had Flynn say the prayer, and obviously we had to guide him. He was still. Like again, two or three at the time, we had to guide him in his prayer, but we just we helped him him come up with the words of what he truly wanted from the Lord, and the Lord helped him find his backpack. Flynn still talks about that to this day uh that was that was a small example in his life of where he saw that by praying, miracles can happen will miracles happen every time he prays i don't know I don't know it totally depends um I, they absolutely could. I'm not trying to limit God on, on that. But sometimes God doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we would like him to. He answers the prayers that we need those prayers to be answered. The point being, I could have gate, gate kept the relationship between my child and God by praying for him and just having to be, be a participant. And it would have been completely my faith. And I think he would have forgotten that story. But because he was the main participant in that journey, um, he has a, he already has a faith story before you know the age of eight and we hope to help him have many more opportunities along with maggie and sky um but he, he is developing his relationship already with god i don't do a ton of things right in life but i think we did that one right and i hope to do more correct things but in this case again uh don't be a gatekeeper for your kids help them have that relationship that it's our duty to do that and uh That's what I wanted to share. So, what is the Lord trying to tell you to do for your life? And are you going to act on it? Thanks for joining my family room discussion. And until we meet again, have a blessed week.